0: I know this isn't a story, and I did hesitate to add this to the podcast. But as it's been a prayer I've been stuck on for some years now, I thought it may be helpful to share this with you. But understand, when I say stuck, I don't use it in a negative way. Instead, I'm still working through this prayer, seeking to capture all that's hidden in those deceptively few words. You see, this prayer grasps hold of God in a way that can transform and transport us from where we are towards where we're going to be, towards becoming who we'll eventually be. But I'm running ahead of myself, so let's start with the prayer itself. You can find it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation, where it's called Paul's Prayer for Spiritual Growth. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep His love is. As Paul starts with, when I think of all this, he's looking back at what he said earlier in the letter, especially chapter 2, where he talks about Jews and Gentiles both having the same rights given to them by God and belonging together as the people of God. So when he starts his prayer, he also starts by reminding himself of that very privileged relationship he's just explained that all Christians, Jews and Gentiles, have with their Father in Heaven. And so from that perspective... As it were, coming into the presence of God in His incomparably great grace, he tells us that he falls to his knees in prayer before this wonderfully loving and accepting God, while going on to remind himself that this same Father in Heaven has unlimited power and wisdom. He does this by pointing to his wonderful creation. His reasoning is simple. Nothing can be impossible for the one who created, well, everything and so what he's about to ask cannot be outside God's ability to give. With this perspective in mind, in other words, having got his thinking straight about whom he's praying to before he asks anything of him, Paul then feels ready to bring his first request. I wonder, how often do I rush into the presence of God with my list of requests, without first taking the time to get my thinking straight, and in so doing worship the Lord? Anyway, getting back to Paul's prayer, his first request is for power. That's what he means when he talks about being empowered with inner strength through his spirit. But it's not just power for power's sake, but an empowering for a very specific reason. The kind of power Paul wants is the power to change who we are, to become someone Christ Jesus is happy to live in. That's what Paul means when he talks about Christ making his home in our hearts. Imagine what this means, that God can so transform sinful people like me and you, that we can actually become a place where Jesus is not just existing in us, barely tolerating being with us, but actually happy to make his home in us and with us. When I look at my own life, I find this thought mind-blowing. For me, this request that we could have the power of God to transform us so that Jesus is happy to make his home in us seems to be far more than just a small Jesus is happy and at home type of idea, much more. Ultimately, I see this as asking that our Father in Heaven would send His Holy Spirit with incredible power to so work in our lives that we're brought to the point where King Jesus' rule is absolute, where our selfish and sin-ravaged will is so transformed that we fall prostrate before Jesus on His throne in the centre of our lives, and we worship Him, with every sinew of our will desiring to obey Him, whatever He asks of us. In effect, we are asking God to change the focus of our lives. Presently, we sit on the throne of our lives. What we want determines our actions and the course of our lives, but if this prayer is to be answered with the kind of power Paul is asking for, then we are going to be so changed that we willingly get off that throne and allow Jesus to sit there instead and then, with all our so-called rights discarded, thrown away as rubbish, we look to him to lead us forward. But it's also worth noting that this is a process, something that develops and grows over time, and Paul shows us how this happens when he uses the words, as you trust in him. In other words, that growth and the lordship of Jesus over our lives and wills, only develops as we learn to trust him, to accept that he knows best and he wants what's best for us. Oh, and that we actually do trust him by obeying him and doing what he asks us to do. And of course, to be able to get to that point demands a power that's way beyond our capabilities. Thus Paul's initial prayer for empowering, for power so Jesus reigns supreme within our hearts and power to put our complete trust in him for every aspect of our lives. My will cannot become subject to His will without His power at work in me to change me. Paul then goes on to tell us the results of this growing, developing, practising trust. That as we put our trust into practice by actually obeying Him, we start to grasp hold of God's love in new and more profound ways which in turn helps us to hold firm and trust Him through every circumstance in life. You know. We often talk about vicious circles in life, but this is the exact opposite, a glorious circle, maybe even a heavenly spiral, moving us ever upwards towards a more intimate, worshipful, fulfilled, and loving relationship with the Lord. But note that this has to be a practical thing, in that unless I practice obedience, actually doing it, actually submitting to Him, I won't be able to grasp hold of His love for me. In other words, Knowing it isn't enough. You have to do it. So, how does this work? Well, when we've experience of his power, love and grace in action, that in turn gives us the certainty we need to trust him for what comes next. In other words, we've experienced his love this far, and that assures us that his love is sufficient for the future. This, of course, is what Paul's referring to when he talks about our roots growing down into the love of God, keeping us strong. Now, if this were my own prayer, at this point I may well have said Amen and been happy that I'd asked something that's profound and transformational, but Paul isn't satisfied with that. He wants more, a lot more, and so he continues to ask for even more power. But again, this power is constrained by the Holy Spirit for specific purposes. The first purpose is to help us understand what we really should understand anyway, but because of sin and spiritual weakness – we are unable to understand without his power. What is it that we should understand? The infinite dimensions of the love of God. Pause at that for a moment. Paul wants us to understand the infinite dimensions of the love of God. Isn't that amazing? And to make us somewhat ashamed by our weakness, he tells us that all God's people should already understand this, that it should be part of what we already know as Christians. We should understand that no matter how much we know of His love in its heights, joy, worship, peace, praise, overwhelming expressions of His holiness and His presence, that there's always more. Or that no matter how low we go in life, with pain, loss, turmoil, disaster, sin and guilt, whatever, that we can never reach the depths of His love, that can still enfold us and reclaim us, regardless of what's happened, even when it's our own fault. Again, when we look back to the past or think about the future, we see that his love was, is and will always be far more than we need or needed or imagined. There never was and there never will be a deficit of his love for us. And the width? Maybe that means that even when we stray, losing sight of the place we've come from or the place we're headed towards, or maybe when we're walking on a path that's a long way from His, that His love is never so small that we can step outside of it, and His reach is not so short that even when we're completely lost, He can't still take hold of us to bring us back. Or maybe, again, it's that there's no experience in life that can confound God where His love's unable to reach, no matter how far it may seem from His perfect way. His love is always able to reclaim us wide, long, high and deep. His love is always more, greater, beyond, but we need his power to start to grasp these things. Now, while Paul pleads with the Lord for power to grasp the infinite dimensions of God's love, he also wants this power for something that's greater still. Yes, he wants us to grasp these things, after all, that's the basis upon which the next part of his prayers built – But what he wants to come from this head knowledge is for it to move to our hearts and daily living experience. As we start to get our heads around the incomprehensible dimensions of the love of God, Paul asks that we actually experience it. For some, this point in the prayer can make them uncomfortable because to experience the love of God, or to use another term, to know the love of God, requires every aspect of us as people, including, and maybe even especially, our emotions. Some don't like talk of emotions, and yet, here is Paul asking that we experience or know love, and how can you experience and know real love without it impacting our emotions? You see, as this knowledge of the infinite dimensions of the love of God becomes our experience, we're transformed. The strange and wonderful thing about this is that because the dimensions of God's love are infinite, as we start to experience His love, we also start to realise that what we're experiencing, vast and life-changing as it may be, is little more than the very start, a mere hairbreadth across the start line of His infinite love. No wonder at another point in the Bible Paul tells us that no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love Him. So why is Paul asking for this mind and heart-blowing experience? And this is where I think I find myself positively stuck time and again. Paul's asking for this, so that we can have everything. Note that word, everything. That's what he means when he says made complete. He asks that we can have everything that God wants us to have. So that we can be all he's planned for us to be. Another way of saying this is that we're to be made complete, mature, fully developed people of God who lack nothing and are pleasing to God in every way. I don't think it's possible to ask more of God than this, that we can become everything he wants us to be, filled with life and power from God, mature and complete. What a prayer to pray for your family, your church, your friends. If you think about it, that means that we need God to provide us with power from his limitless resources so that we can reach maturity as God's people. Or to put it in the negative, without this power at work in our lives, we can never become mature Christians. That maturity is only achievable by a trusting experience of God's amazing and limitless love and that we can't become mature without it. No wonder Paul's praying this prayer. But even this incredible height isn't the ultimate purpose of Paul's prayer. Yes, he wants to see us become mature Christians, but there's still more. So what is the ultimate purpose of this incredible prayer? Glory to God. That's the core, root, central reason to ask all these incredible things of the Father, that what he does in us brings glory to himself. How does that happen? Well, When God's able to transform the likes of me and you into mature, loving, serving, trusting and gracious servants of God, when he can take selfish, me-centred people like us and so transform us that our heart's desire is to please him come what may, then he gets all the glory because everyone will know he did it, because no person can be changed like that by themselves. So, ultimately, Paul prays this prayer. For the glory of God, as the world perceives the power of God at work in his people, the Church, brought together through Christ Jesus. But there's also a tantalizing part to this prayer that makes it even more incredible. For as Paul has asked God to transform us so thoroughly and completely in knowledge and experience so as to bring glory to God, Paul also tells us that through God's mighty power at work within us, God is able to do infinitely more than our imaginations can comprehend. Now, imagine what God could do for those we were to pray this prayer for. Then remember, your imagination isn't sufficient to comprehend what He can and will do in us for His glory. As God's love is infinite, so is His power to change us. Can you see why I've got stuck on this prayer? It's a prayer that asks God for everything he has to give us, to make us complete, and it's a prayer we know God longs to answer, as it fits in with his will, and it's for his glory.